You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is an attorney who represents startups, nonprofits, arts organizations, and people who work in the creative industries. As an arts entrepreneur, Brian is the founder and CEO of Performing Arts Live, a Pennsylvania nonprofit corporation dedicated to creating and supporting live performance opportunities for jazz and electronic artists. Its flagship program is the Allentown Jazz Fest. Brian is a TEDx speaker, a Grammy voter, and jazz musician. Creative Confidential begins now. Don Cunningham has a long track record of public service. Don was an enormously popular two-term mayor of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania from 1997 to 2003, and then subsequently served two terms as the Lehigh County Executive and currently is the president and CEO of the Lehigh Valley Economic Development Corporation. Don has led a high-profile political career and has enjoyed enormous popularity. What is interesting still is that Don fronts a rock band named Cunningham and Associates, which routinely plays the larger regional venues with crowds approaching 1,000 in attendance. It is not your typical side project. CEO by day, guitarist and rock band frontman by night, Don shares his story with us. Don, thanks so much for joining us today uh, in beautiful Allentown, Pennsylvania, which uh, I find uh, as we are going forward and gaining listeners, uh, not all of them are in the region. Uh, we we have a, a high concentration of people in, you know, PA, New Jersey, Delaware, um, but we have listeners in Florida and the Midwest uh, on the West Coast, and uh, in like twenty foreign countries now. Believe it or That's believe fantastic. it or not, which yeah. is uh, pretty hard to believe. So we're we're learning as we go that we have to generalize a little bit on on some things, and uh, so. We want to. Don's a very interesting person, as I you heard from the intro. In that, there's he really has these two sides to his. I don't want to say personality. <laughs> I don't think that's the right way to say it. But um, like an earlier guest, uh, Frank Smith, who was on one of the one of the first episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, Frank is was a or is a very accomplished photographer and world traveler. But he also has this huge uh, commercial real estate. commercial real yeah. estate job, which mm-hmm. is uh, either one of those is a, is a huge deal, and he manages to make both work. Right. Um, and in your case, you have a a long track record of of public service. You've been an enormously and and enormously popular in. Um, in the regions where you were mayor or, or county executive. Thank you. And, but yet you have this whole other side of you that <laughs> yeah. I never knew for years, yeah. you know, for a couple of years until uh, one day I discovered it. So we'll get yeah. to that part in a second, <laughs> but maybe if we can sure. set the table a little bit for everyone. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is a city of 80,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, now you were, were kind of jumping, I think, in the middle of your political career but you're you're you were elected mayor of Bethlehem mm-hmm. in what year was that 97 97 yeah I was 31 years old was that now how how becoming a long time ago <laughs> it seems like it was yesterday it wasn't it wasn't yeah. that long ago um yeah. so you won your first election in 97 um 
in terms of your political career up to then, was that the first large scale campaign you had run or had um, you- well i had um uh, I'd been on the Bethlehem city council, so I ran for uh as a, as an even younger guy i think it was twenty eight I ran for Bethlehem city council back in nineteen ninety five and um this was a really a a period of tremendous impending change in Bethlehem um the Bethlehem Steel Company, which was the dominant employer in in the city um it was inevitable that it was going to be closing out. Mm-hmm. And uh, to bring perspective to those who don't know the city of Bethlehem, uh, about 25% of the total taxable land was in the hands of this one company. At the height of its uh, prominence, it employed 30,000 people. And uh, as you said, Brian, in a city of 80,000, and that time it might have been 70,000 people, it was pretty significant. It was the dominant industry. So the Literally half the yeah. town. And worked for the company. It, it, and my father was a steel worker, um, you know, worked in the hot metal shop. And my family had been steel workers. And, um, you know, honestly, I had no business being in politics and running for council and running for mayor in my 20s and, and 30s. But it was a what was happening in the community was that it was clear we were going to go through this monumental economic and, and social change. Um, and at that time. Really, all the folks that were governing, they were good people, but they'd been there for 20, 30, literally 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I was a young guy with a young family that had thoughts about we had to reinvent ourselves and get ready for the next phase um, or we were going to die. We we're going to become go the way of you know, so many other industrial towns that uh, just faded away when the major industry closed. So that's really what launched me into talking about ideas and I just walked around door to door and had thoughts about how we needed to reposition ourselves for our next phase in the city. So as you took office in 97, how yeah. did that relate time-wise to the closing of, of the plant? Had it stopped production well, at so, that point? Or? Yeah, so so what happened was um, I, I was actually uh, sworn in in January of 1998, and in March of 1998, the steel company closed. Um, so I had the great distinction of being at that time I was 32 because mm-hmm. uh, I had a birthday in between the election and, and my inauguration and um, 90 days into it was still company shut down okay um, you know there was a slow ramp down um, in the 90s where mm-hmm. different operations were closing out but we still had about uh, five or six thousand employees that overnight really kind of went away so you know my job which fortunately you know it's what I had spoken about and we knew was inevitably coming, my job had became managing this transition of how do you work to build a, a new economy and while you're you know you're feeling the effects of losing a lot of the old. Um, and then the, the bigger thing which was more intangible was um, to get people out of a malaise of what are we going to do next mm-hmm. you know and I think I was in the right place at the right time and naive enough. Uh, to, <laughs> I wouldn't probably wouldn't run for it today. Well, some, sometimes that's the best. Yeah, that's the best advantage. Um, you know, people may have is is not not knowing. Yeah, yeah being young enough. You know, idealistic yet not realizing how tough yeah. Yeah. everything ahead of you really is going to yeah. be, and that's yeah. actually ignorance a good thing. can truly be bliss. So, your first term. Uh, you know, kind of presided over that, the beginning of that, that transition. And you, again, you know, 
are are very and I'm going to be doing this a lot today but you know you're so well regarded in the in the region I can easily understand your popularity as a mayor even going through that difficulty of you know the sort of the axis of the whole city kind of closing down yeah. um you run for re-election Yes. Um, so your second term would have started in. Well, I I'm ran. Bad, I'm bad at math. So I so. ran for re-election right. in 2001, and and I was I was quite fortunate in that uh, nobody chose to run against me. Okay. Uh, and um, you know, having run for office, I think four or five times, it's it's much easier to run without an opponent. <laughs> I'm um, sure, sure. It's it is. much easier on everybody. <laughs> so that was probably my most fun right. election was 2001 where I didn't have an I didn't have an opponent. So, but you know, in Bethlehem, um for better or worse, uh it's one of the the, the rare cities uh, at least in Pennsylvania that caps you out at two terms. Mm -hmm. So right. you can do two terms and that's it. Well, uh, and that's and you're out. Right. That, well, <laughs> so. that was that was my next question cuz it yeah. seemed like you could have been uh you know, you could have been mayor for life. Well, <laughs> for well, you, or, yeah, or yeah. you know, I know that's an exaggeration, yeah. but you know, without that term limit, uh you know, you could have easily done three or four. Well, I terms and, and if I, you had wanted to. Yeah, I probably would have stayed longer. I mean, I always say that every you know, elected official has a shelf life, mm -hmm. and um, yep. you you, ex you you know your milk goes sour over time, no matter how fresh it starts. So, um, uh, you know, it, it was looking for me that period of time in my life was was extraordinary because I was a I was a kid of Bethlehem, I was the son of a steel worker, my family had been there for generations. As a community, we never thought the day would come when. There wasn't a steel company when we weren't associated with Bethlehem Steel. Um, and then to emerge at that time to help manage that transition and then to look back now 20 years later and see the city's a better place. It, it really is. And not just be, not from what I did, but I think the region, the city is healthier now, whether we look at it environmentally, our air's cleaner, our water's cleaner. Our economy's better diversified. Mm -hmm. All our eggs are no longer in one basket. We're no longer economically susceptible to, you know, major uh, recessions or impacts on a particular industry. Mm -hmm. We're very balanced, and we've grown, and you know, we've become infused with new people and new ideas. And it's a healthier Bethlehem. It's a healthier Lehigh Valley. Twenty years later. And nobody would have said that in 1995. You know, right. That would have been have, that would have been it, tough to it, imagine. It would have been almost blasphemous to say, right. we're going to be better without Bethlehem Steel. Nobody would have thought that. So following your time as mayor, what happens next in your political career? Well, you know, I got involved with a, a guy that was mayor of a city 60 miles to the south of Bethlehem, which you may have heard of. It's called Philadelphia. I, I have uh, heard stories about <laughs> and, and, the, and the mayor down there was 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 Ed Rendell, mm -hmm. who, was, who was doing this tremendous job of transforming Philadelphia. And I was a young mayor, and he was towards the end of his time. And you know, as we tend to do in whatever our, our livelihood is, you seek out best practices, sure. you seek out mentors, mm -hmm. you seek out pathways to success. So early on in my tenure, I, well, actually before I even became mayor, when I was on council, uh, I went to see Ed Rendell and, and looked at some of the things that they were doing in Philadelphia because he had to manage this huge financial turnaround in mm -hmm. Philadelphia. 
and uh, we became friendly and close. And and he came to see me, and about the time I was probably running for re-election and said he was going to run for governor in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And um, I signed on and took on the task of um, really running a large part of his operation in, in the Lehigh Valley mm-hmm. uh, along with others. And um, it was an exciting time in 2002 when he ran for governor. And um, then he got elected governor and I didn't expect this and it wasn't part of any discussion, but he said, hey, I want you to, I really want you to come and and work in my cabinet and be part of my administration. And, you know, that was a, it was a pretty powerful uh, offer. Sure. And particularly with my clock ticking in Bethlehem because of the term limit and then being a young guy with a young family, mm-hmm. uh, on the practical matter, I needed a job, right? So, right. <laughs> uh, you know, newspaper headlines are great, but they don't pay the mortgage or buy clothes for your kids, right? So, um, so I went with, with Ed, um, as a, as his secretary of general services, which is the core business operations of the Commonwealth. It's about $4 billion worth of the Commonwealth's uh, procurement, insurance, capital projects, real estate. And the idea there was that I had managed, not to get boring on this, but I had managed a lot of fa- financial issues because mm-hmm. right. when you lose a big industry like that, you lose revenue. So you have to figure out how do you make ends meet without raising taxes because you don't want to make matters worse. So you have to get a little more creative. So I, I learned, and then that was my job really for Ed, was to look at the operations of the Commonwealth and figure out ways we could save money. We ended up taking uh, just short of a billion dollars of operating costs out of the way the Commonwealth did its back office operations mm-hmm. and business. So yeah. so you're now in charge at, at the Department, Department of General, General Services. Services. Yeah. You're now in charge of a budget of $4 billion Yeah, we oversaw $4 billion dollars of the – yeah. And how many thousands of employees work for – for that department, um, I think there was a th- you know thousand, some twelve hundred, something like that. So, yeah. so you're yeah. the, I mean, you're the CEO of a of a massive. Mm. If this was taken out and put in the private sector, yeah, you know, this is a, a massive operation. Yeah, you know, state with a huge geographic footprint. Yeah, and that was coming from you know in in Bethlehem. I think at that time our our budget may have been maybe you know forty million, and we had six hundred and fifty employees. That's yeah. uh, uh, quite a jump. So it was a jump. Quite a jump up to. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and again, when I look back on it, I really had no business being in any of these jobs. I mean, I was <laughs> I was young. I was, you know, I was learning as I went. And um, I was very, very fortunate. I mean, you know, when I look back and the opportunity I had and, and everything in life is timing. And in politics, it's really, you know, timing to the 10th. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, but I was also a, a student of what I needed to do. I mean, I was a big believer in, in being prepared and having a plan and having an agenda and working hard at it. And, you know, it it, it, it worked out. Um, uh, and I had a great time working with Governor Rendell. And we got to – I traveled, you know, all across the Commonwealth and spent a lot of time. And, that, and ultimately that became uh, why I really left that position was, again, I had – Three young kids, right? Uh, and was living here in Bethlehem and working in Harrisburg and in Pittsburgh, and I literally went through weeks where I didn't see my family, and it was just too. It was really, really it's, hard. Yeah, it's not it was, easy. It was a. It was probably the most um, uh, exciting job I had because I was, you know, learning so much. Uh, but that time away, at that time in my life and my kids' lives, was yep. was kind of devastating. Oh, I'm so, sure. Yeah. 
So, so you you have this trajectory now where you know two term mayor and uh, a large uh, large scale cabinet state level yeah. cabinet position, um, and going. Th- so you decide to come back to the valley a yeah. bit, not a bit. You you do come back to the valley and end up. Uh, as the Northampton County, Lee, Lee, so I came back and ran for uh, Lehigh County Executive. So it's it's a common mistake, and Bethlehem is a city that, uh, in fact, is the only city in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that resides in two different counties. Okay, and there's a yeah. there's an interesting backstory as to why, but you don't have enough time on the podcast with it. But <laughs> um, but uh, so that'll, I, that'll I, be I, another yeah, episode <laughs> unto itself for history buff. Yes. So I, I lived in the Lehigh County side, and you know it's interesting. You just kind of made that mistake because when I ran for Lehigh County executive, and Lehigh County is uh, one of the larger metropolitan counties in in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, has a population now about three hundred sixty thousand people. It's County seat it's here in Allentown, yep. um, and Bethlehem is its other city, but it's only about one third of Bethlehem that's in Lehigh County. And when I ran, and I traveled all around Lehigh County talking about why I wanted to be their county executive, uh, folks would say, "You know, I think that's great." He said, "But I don't understand how a guy from Bethlehem could be our Lehigh County executive." <laughs> you know, and I, I had to, so, so I, yeah. I had to explain the geography like almost at the beginning of every conversation in the campaign, like. Yes, I truly live in Lehigh County, even though I'm on the far right. eastern end of it. So, um, and in you know, in a lot of places in Pennsylvania and other areas, uh, the county executive job doesn't exist. The shorthand of it is you're basically mayor of the county. We right. have home rule, and then we have strong executive full time who run county government and then you have the part-time council just as you do with mayor council Mm -hmm. we have now in most of pennsylvania they have the commission form which is three commissioners right and Uh, and i think in most other um most other states when they're at the county level they've got some formulation of one of the things you just described, so yeah. it's familiar to, to, to people. Yeah, outside of Pennsylvania, this form is more common. Mm-hmm. Inside Pennsylvania, in the 67 counties of Pennsylvania, only about five have this uh, county executive form. Okay, so yeah. we have now. So all of this backstory being, you know, being yeah. said. Yeah. This is how. Um, this is how I perceived Don Cunningham. This is mm. this is how I knew you as, you, you know. Former yeah. mayor and and now you now you're now you're the CEO of the Lehigh Valley Economic Development right. Corporation, which is a uh, a nonprofit organization, as I recall. Well, we are we're chartered you know, as a nonprofit, yeah. so you know not, really not a five hundred one c three, but one yeah. of the other. No, eight, we're eighteen. We're actually five hundred one c three. Oh, you c three? Okay. Yeah, and, and you know the. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so I was two terms as county executive, and once again, one of the rare counties, one of the rare municipalities that have two terms and you're out. So right. just as I hit into mayor, uh, I was at the back end of my term as county executive, couldn't run again. Um, the organization that I'm fortunate enough to, to head up now is a public-private partnership that was created by the uh, corporate leadership of of the Lehigh Valley uh, back in 1995. And Mm. interestingly enough, where the stories collide is in 1995, it was created because of the impending, you know, 
the slowdown and the impending demise of Bethlehem Steel and what was happening at that time. Uh, a lot of our manufacturing trades were closing down, a lot of our, our needle shops and textile mills. And as manufacturing was beginning to move to, to, to overseas, to India and Asia. Mm-hmm. So the corporate leadership knew we needed to get aggressive about economic growth, job creation, diversification of the industry. So they created this. Um, and it took a lot of work to – because what we really have is this, this consortium, if you will, of both counties, our three major cities of Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. Uh, and then our larger employers across the region into a coalition uh, to work on economic strategies for the region. Um, right now, one of the biggest things we're working on is workforce and talent supply. Where do we get our labor? Mm-hmm. Where do we get our skill set? Um, looking at infrastructure, road congestion because of growth. How do we do better with you know moving freight on rail instead of truck? Um, and then we're the we're the economic marketing arm of the Lehigh Valley. So I spend a good portion of time on the road uh, talking to um, opinion shapers, commercial industrial brokers, location consultants about the Lehigh Valley, about right. the economic assets that are here so we can continue to grow our economy. So, And then finally, we are you know, the epitome of regionalization. You can, you can save costs. You can do things better if everybody's not duplicating the same functionality in their own little corner of the right. world. Instead, we have a central spot where these entities buy in and we provide these access to capital, financing services, marketing services for the region. So it's been a it's been a thrill. I mean, I've been doing it three years now and we're experiencing tremendous economic growth in the valley. Um, and um, it's fun to sell my home area. You know, well, it's easy I, when it's yeah, something you, yeah. you believe in as, as yeah. strongly as you do. Um, it's it's not it's it's easy. It sells itself almost. It, you in, believe, in yeah, I've been here pretty much all my life, except for you know when I went to graduate school in Villanova, and and after you know my first my first job was really in Philadelphia. You know, mm-hmm. I started my career working there, but that was only a few years, and then I came back home. And otherwise, I've been uh, I'm a I'm a local. <laughs> hometown, yeah. hometown guy. Yeah. So, so we've now, so we've now kind of covered the the. I hate to say like the day job part of of you know if <laughs> the that's, part that's paid the bills. Yeah, because yeah, that's a that's a ridiculous way to. When characterize. we get to the part that I'd love to have actually be able to pay the bills. But, yeah, um, yeah. So so, hopefully everybody has stuck with us uh this far and i, I think yeah, they we have because hopefully we didn't lose them on the county exactly we had a lot of we had yeah. a lot of inside <laughs> baseball uh pol- political stuff um and so i knew you in this in this role right former mayor former county executive um economic development ceo and um as everybody that has stuck with the podcast and that has subscribed knows, you know, part of the, what we're talking about is where arts and, and the business worlds kind of intersect. Uh, sometimes that's running a nonprofit. Sometimes that's being, um, being a commercially viable artist, whether you're a painter or musician or playwright or, or, or film director or what have you. And we occasionally have people that have one foot in each world and, can navigate both equally well. And there's not, I, you know, there are not many people around that are like a Frank Smith or that are like a Don Cunningham because we, I remember, I won't name any names, but I, I remember a couple of years back, um, 
you know, you, you see people in the business world and they go, oh, yeah, well, I play, you know, in a, right. in a blues band or, you know, I, uh, I, you know, do community theater or whatever, you know, right, whatever right, it is. Right. And, you know, would you come to my thing, you know, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for years, um, you know, I, I've been a musician for like 33 years. And Great I musician. Great drummer. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But I never brought it into the work world because I was always paranoid right. that the, something would happen at the... It was mostly my own paranoia yeah. that kept this sort of a secret for a long time. Um, and it was in, it was incidents like the one I'm describing without naming anybody, but <laughs> I, I found myself at a performance venue and from the first chord of, of this person who was a musician, I knew we were all in trouble for the next <laughs> 75 minutes. It was... It was bad. It just was, yeah, it, yeah, I was like, yeah. oh my God, this is a vanity project. Why are we here? You know, right, right. but it, it, it was fine. And, and part, I guess that's partially like kind of musical snobbery or whatever, but, right. um, but I wouldn't like, I would only bring people from my work sphere, um, into the musical stuff if I knew it was artistically valid and it was worth their time. Yeah. And, you know, coming back to you, somebody had told me, well, you know, Don plays guitar. He's, right. he's pretty good. And I was like, <laughs> the former mayor, the <laughs> thing he plays guitar, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and sure enough, um, you know, I saw somebody who afforded me, um, you know, a YouTube clip of, yeah. of, you know, Cunningham and the associates. And, um, it was as legit as anything else. Oh, that you know, makes me feel great yeah. that you say that. I, really and does. I was, I was yeah. sitting there watching, and going, "Man, he, this is, you know, like it. it, it it's a real band. <laughs> well, it's a real band, but but the, yeah. the trick is yeah. getting people to watch you perform and forget, yeah, all the other stuff, which is what happens. So you That's play, you know, so you play like you know the Music Fest Cafe. The capacity yeah. there's. Uh, I think 850 or 900, yeah. you know, plus or minus. I mean, these are big rooms that your band plays. Yeah, we actually sold it out last time we were there. Yeah. Yeah. And we're playing again. Can I put in a plug? Of course. Yes. Yeah, so Friday night, June 3rd. <laughs> right. If you do want to hear Cunningham, if you have stayed with the podcast and you want to hear us, we are back at the Music Fest Cafe at ArtsQuest Center for uh, uh, for uh, uh, an evening of the music of Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones. There so you go. we are doing... Uh, uh, a night there. Now, how long have you? What came first? I mean, yeah, did politics well, music, come first. Did no. music come first? Like, what was you it? You know, I probably like you know every kid growing up. You know, you, you the first time you hear the opening chords of Honky Tonk Woman, and you say, "Man, I got to You know, I want to <laughs> yeah. pick up a guitar." You know, so I uh, that came first. I mean, probably like when I was fourteen or so, I started playing, and then you know the classic garage band and banging around with buddies, and mm -hmm. but all through high school, and then by you know the end of high school, we had somewhat of a real band and uh, played high school dances and you know yep. all that kind of fun stuff, and and then in college, I did the coffee house stuff and. And uh, we'd come home and then we'd put the band together and, and play a bit in the bars around here. And, you know, and then when I, I would originally get started on my professional career, I got married young and started having kids and mm -hmm. kind of put the guitar in the closet because there was no time for that. I think everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. has that period. Yeah, you know, like yeah, the kids are little yeah, and, and yeah. the gear gets stored for a couple of years. And, and then. And then actually, interestingly, it was because you talk about this cross section of, of business world or politics and then you're. you're passion your art you know is it 
it came about when I was mayor, um, and somebody remembered ArtsQuest had well, it wasn't ArtsQuest then; it was just called Music Fest in Bethlehem, which is our community arts and festival organization. Mm-hmm. Um, had just taken over the old Theateritis, uh Banana Warehouse and was building this thing called the Banana Factory, which yep. was this art center on the south side. And I was mayor at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody remembered that I played in a band in high school. So they're having a fundraiser. And I said, you know, we're trying to raise money. This would be pretty cool if we, you know, bring the mayor's band. Then we can raise money for this art center. And right. so I called up some of the old guys and I said, you know, it's interesting. We've got a, they got an offer to put this. You know, band back together right, and do right. so we did it and and it actually and it was you know in retrospect it probably wasn't really great but it was uh, because we hadn't played for you know a decade but mm-hmm. but we had the fundamentals and you know and that sure. kind of started it and then the first iteration of it it was called the mayor and his cabinet which was kind of corny but it was you know it was uh, a fun play a fun, on, yeah, on, on, on right right the day job yeah. and, and, and then that. you know and then what happened was you know fortunately for me just kind of the reaction of what i always consider real musicians like yourself said well this is pretty cool like this isn't bad you know this guy can actually play so i started being able to get what I consider to be some of the best musicians in the Lehigh Valley who wanted to play with me, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, so we now, the group I play with now, I mean, I'm by far the worst guy in the band, right? I mean, I appreciate you saying I've, I can I've, hold I've said my that own. in my own organizations yeah, but, many, many times. But I mean, we, I've got these, <laughs> these the really yeah. killer musicians yeah. who have all been playing in 30, 40, you know, a guy right. like Pete Fluck who plays saxophone and, and harp for us has been playing almost 50 years in the right. Lehigh Valley. And they work with other acts too obviously but yep. you know but when we get come together it's you know it's a it's a real group and it's it's my great fun and thrill well mm-hmm. and and so in the on the page uh the episode page on on the on the website uh will will embed so there was like a seven minute sort of promo film that Fire Rock Productions. Oh yeah, for. yeah. So if yeah. as long as we have permission from yeah, everybody, sure. we'll uh, yeah. we'll, we'll embed that on the page. So when yeah. when people go to see this, yeah. they're going to, you know, have the the audio of what we're doing right now. But right, right below it, they'll be able to click through and see and hear exactly what okay. we're what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um. And it was and that film always kind of you know and you know this as a musician all I all I when I see that all I hear are the the, the things that aren't right right you know? <laughs> I, know, I know or that like why did I have my shirt tucked in and that kind you know no kind of I mean stuff, it's, it, it it, <laughs> it you know it's it's a band that is very um you know very firmly in sort of that. British invasion yeah, uh, version roots. of American yeah, blues. Yeah, the yeah, American a lot, a lot of uh, it's uh, six, uh, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties cover. We're, we're, we don't have the time to write our own songs. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're, we try to make it fun. I mean, I love Springsteen. We do a lot of Springsteen. We do a lot of Rolling Stones. We do a lot of a lot of Motown. A lot of you know soul rock. Right. A lot of Delbert McClinton and just kind of fun, you know, danceable party. But we try to stay away from the fraternity rock, you know, the kind of overly trite, you know, Louis <laughs> right. Louis, you know, right. stuff. But, right. um, you know, we, we and as we've been growing and playing more and more, we're trying, you know, more and more kind of little trickier stuff. So, yeah, fun. So what was your your early influences in playing guitar were were who? You know, I, I I love that sound of you know that Stone sound of the early seventies. That kind of you know v- very different than jazz. The kind of the kind of the raw, crunchy, sparse 
you know, uh, strong backbeat kind of based out of the American roots of blues, soul, gospel, mm -hmm. rock into that new twist that those bands in the, in the sixties and seventies gave to that sound. And I, I still find myself, I just came back from Nashville and I'm really not a, a like a, a, I'm not a current country music fan, but mm -hmm. when I hear that old kind of George Jones or, you know, Waylon Jennings, it's kind of, there's something about that kind of a music that came up from America. Right. Um, with great storytelling lyrics and kind of that rawness that I, has kind of been my inspiration. Now, there's other guys in the band, as you know how the things sure. work with the band. Right. So, you know, we end up kind of moving into a little bit of other areas. But that's kind of the core of what we do. I mean, it's always a sort of a gumbo. You know, there's all yeah. these ingredients with, with different members and they all kind of bring their own sensibility into the final, the final yeah. product. Yeah. I mean, we have found a little niche with the... Yeah, I think, you know, being modest for a second, I think we play Springsteen very well. I mean we've oh, got I agree. we've got the instrumentation for it and 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 there's not a lot of, you know, cover bands or, or bands around here that are you, you know doing that. And we we're not a tribute band, but for occasionally we'll do a, a tribute set or a mm -hmm. set of, you know, that artist's music yep. and which seems to be a popular uh sellable it's a thing. commodity yeah, right is, now and it, you it, know it definitely is a thing i mean you it, can go and see like craig you know, thatcher will do a night of Jimi right. hendrix or eric clapton or you know something like that and uh, that is yeah it's it's and it seems to be more and more prevalent with you know as the 60s and 70s bands kind of are you know out of the business yeah. or retiring you know you'll you'll be able to go see I'm sure it will happen probably with Rush yeah, now, now that they've retired yeah, to go yeah. really into the rock world. Um, well, you know, it works it, nice for it. And the reason ArtQuest keeps booking us back on it is um, if people know your band and they'll come because they like your band, but then you have a limited audience. But then if it's the, you're playing the music of an artist that mm -hmm. a lot of people like, the combination seems to... If you do it well, you know, it seems to sell right. tickets. And that's so. <laughs> and that's actually much trickier than yeah. people think, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of people since Springsteen especially has been so prevalent for so long, people kind of take it for granted until you go hear someone covering do it. Yeah. some of the material and it doesn't come off very well yeah. because there's a lot that – is in there that if you can't, right? You know, and everybody's yeah. heard those same recordings and those same three notes by the sax and that part over and over. And <laughs> right, look, right. their mind's ear is looking to hear that, yep. you know. And my our first rule with any of this stuff that we do that's in the tribute genre is if we if we can't get the song to sound well, we just drop it. You know, let's 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 if we can't nail the song so it really sounds like the song. Yep, you can't take license with it when you're doing. Any kind of tribute stuff because people don't right. want to hear your version of "Born to Run." They want to hear "Born to Run." Right. Uh, well, it, <laughs> it, 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 you know, and it's yeah. it's a, a a function of having you have to have high standards, and that's hard to do. Sometimes you may have songs you're like, "Boy, I really want to do this one." Yeah, because <laughs> the song's but, great. Yeah, we but, don't play it great, but it's a great <laughs> song. <laughs> but you know, it, it takes a lot of discipline to say no. Yeah. To to things, whether it's opportunities or. or Songs that you really want to get in in front of people, but maybe it's just not up right. to your, you know, standards of where it should be. Um, so how many? So how many? How do you juggle 
although I think this has been reality for mm. you for so long, maybe it, you know, well, there's no method to it, but it just it just is like you. It's the hardest. Have this heavy duty day job, yeah. and at the same time, you've got, uh, you know, you've got family obligations and mm. the and the things that we all have. But to add this, you know, a working band on top of it is not. Well, not for everybody. I mean, it's not easy. You, yeah, it's not. And and unfortunately, you know, I kind of draw the line. I'd, I'd love, I mean, I love music. I love playing. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, but I kind of draw the line at like I could do maybe 12 to 15 shows a year and that's it. And, you know, fortunately for me, I've got really good musicians who are willing to work with me on that schedule. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. if, because if guys, if this was their only band, and, and one or two of the guys, it's it's really their main band, but um, and they wanted to work more, it would it, it wouldn't work, right? So right. I've got about enough capacity for for that, and I tell them like I don't really I don't proactively look for gigs, you know. I just everything we do is what kind of people come to us and ask us to do, and I I haven't I don't have the time to go market the band. And, <laughs> I was and well, as, that's yeah, that was that know, was a, yeah, that was a, so, one of the next questions yeah. is how it, it just comes to you. That's yeah, I mean that's, that's a good place to be in. That's exact. That's actually perfect. I would think yeah. for for what you know all the other I, you things know, you have to. Uh, you handle. know, I'm lucky that you know the casino will book us one or two nights a year. Arts Quest Music Fest will book us. The, mm -hmm. We play a lot of festivals around the area that will call us, and I get asked to do a lot of special event fundraisers, and uh, I get that as all musicians, we get asked to do a lot for free. <laughs> but right, you know, right, for, right. I, I always say I can donate my time, but I've got five musicians that I've got to pay. So. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so we, well, that's kind of our genre. We don't do yeah. bars. We don't, you know, we don't, I don't want to be working till one or two in the morning right, and, right. you know, for 50 bucks and hauling stuff. And nothing good comes from being in a bar after 10 <laughs> o'clock, particularly when you do what I do for a living. So we kind of play right, more. Right. And, 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 smart. You know, yeah. Very smart. So, yeah. So it's, and even with 12 to 15 a year, it's, it's a challenge. To, but you know how it is when you love something, you find time to make it work. You do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to next see you at ArtsQuest on June. Yeah, June 3rd. Friday, June 3rd is our next kind of ticketed show, public show. We end up doing a lot of stuff that's not open to the you know public. You know, it's a private event or a corporate event or things right. like that. But our next, you know, our next public show is is Friday, June 3rd. There you go, in Bethlehem. So we'll we'll uh, we're going to have a link for the band. We'll have a link. Thanks. We'll have a link to LVDC if people yeah. want to relocate their company here and, and come hear the band while they're at it. Then we can kill two birds with, with one stone, hopefully. But um, So the one thing, if I could mention, one, the of thrill course. of my life in music was uh, I got to open up for Chuck Berry. And when you were asking me about when, the yeah, genre. When, when was that? So this was uh, the State Theater in Easton. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I'm going to say this was three or four years ago. Also, you know, a, big, also a big venue. What, the State's, State what, 1,200 seats? I think, yeah, it is. Beautiful old yeah. theater in Easton. And, um, you know, not many of these national acts now that come through will ask for a, an opening band. Mm -hmm. But Chuck was of that old school, you know, you have an opening band. And so part of his contract with the state was I need to have an opening band that plays, you know, X style of music. So right. they reached out to us and, uh, you know, we got to got to open up for Chuck Berry. We think we did like a 35, 40 minute set. And, oh, that's too cool. And when Chuck came out, he probably says this in every city with every opening band, but <laughs> he came out and the first thing he said, he goes, he goes, well, Easton, it looks like I'm going to have to really ramp it up tonight because those boys lit it up. 
So, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that, and then I got That's to meet great. Chuck, and, yeah. you know, and, and when you talk about the genre of music that I love, it was that, you know, I mean, he wrote that chord progression, which became rock and roll. I mean, he unfortunately wrote the same song 20 times, but that's, it was that chord yeah, progression yeah, that was sure became was. rock and roll. So it was a thrill. Oh, that's yeah. terrific. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Well, everyone, uh, check out both sides of Don's <laughs> professional uh, journey here. Uh, and all the we'll link to everything in the uh, on the show's web page. Um, but thank you so much for for coming today. And uh, that was great. Thank you, Brian. I think there's another episode yeah. in here, at least about your first term as mayor. Yeah, seriously, that's a that's a really interesting uh, block of time when you're sort of you know beginning your career as the city's yeah it was potentially on the decline, and how you kind of pulled that out. So yeah, absolutely, this is really a historic time period for the city and yep. for the region. Yeah, for all of us involved. For as many of these as we do, the to-do list, Steve, just keeps getting longer, <laughs> which is good. That's a good thing to have. Yeah. So, But, Don, uh, thanks again, and uh, we we'll, we should definitely do another one of these later on. Okay. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. To have Brian consult for your arts organization or public speaking engagements, or if you have legal matters you want to discuss, Contact him at tucklaw.com. That's T-U-K-Law.com. For future episodes, please subscribe to Creative Confidential on iTunes or visit us at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Creation. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com.